well, as I mentioned earlier, my name is Jeff Pitzer. For those who don't know me, um, I am filling in this morning, giving uh, Brian another week of rest, and I am the worship director here, and so I am going to be unoriginal, and I'm going to do a sermon on worship. So this is entitled, The Purpose and Power of Worship. Now, I'm talking about corporate worship this morning. Some of you may have seen some of my devotions that I did when we were all shut down in quarantine. I also talked about worship then, but that was more about a a personal lifestyle of worship. Today, I want to talk about the church body coming together in corporate worship. We're going to be bouncing around the Bible a lot. There's not one specific verse or chapter that I'm going to be referencing. Uh, Feel free to take notes if you like to take notes. Um, It's up to you. Last week, I opened up our service by talking about the foundation for theology, that there's really two main assumptions that you have to have to truly start your study in the study of God or religion. The first one is there is a God, and the second is you are not him. If you start with those two foundations, You'll, you'll have a pretty good place to start, a pretty good foundation. Well, that's also the foundation for worship. There is a God, and you are not him. The definition of worship comes from an old English word that basically means worth-ship. It's simply declaring the worth of God. Now, why is worship important in church? Why is it essential for us? Well, if we're going to talk about foundations and basics, let's look at the Ten Commandments. That's a pretty foundational aspect of our belief system. The first four commandments deal with worship. Think about it. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not have any idols you shall not misuse the name of the Lord. Now, this, does, this is a deeper meaning than just taking the Lord's name in vain. It's saying that his name is holy, it is to be revered and honored, and it is to be used in the proper context. The same way our worship is to be set apart from the common. And the fourth is to keep the Sabbath holy. And one of the ways we do this is by assembling for worship. We celebrate the sacraments And today we both have baptism and communion. We sing worship songs. We listen to the word. So why do the first four commandments deal with worship in some aspect? Well, it's because we were made to worship. It's in our DNA. As Bob Dylan once sang, you got to serve somebody, right? Everybody has something or someone that they put at the center of their life. They put up on a pedestal. The commandments are trying to help us with loving and worshiping God first. So then it talks about the social laws and how to treat others. If we don't get worshiping God right, we won't get treating and loving others right. That's why worship is critical. It's essential. So let's talk about worship in the church. What are two primary roles of the church? The first one's easy. It's the topic of my sermon. 
Worship, there you go. The second one is ministry. Worship and ministry. And I'm here to tell you it's hard to have one without the other. They feed off each other. Worship, true worship should lead to ministry. And doing ministry should lead us back to worship. So, which one comes first, the chicken or the egg? Well, I'm here to tell you I believe worship comes first. Our relationship with God drives us to focus on others. That's why the first four commandments deal with God first. My father gave me a very basic definition of sin. He said, sin is getting things out of order. It's a pretty simple definition. What's the great commandment in the Bible? Okay, you guys sound like you're not quite sure. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, all the law and the commandments hang on these two commands. That is God's master order. Love the Lord your God, then love your neighbors as you love yourself. It comes in that order. We are to love God, then love others. We are to worship God and then go out and do ministry. We need to focus upward before we focus outward. So since I'm talking about corporate worship in a church, it's hard to talk about that without talking about music, right? Music seems to be integrated into this concept of corporate worship. Why is music a main part of worship? Well, I believe there is something powerful about music. There's something about a way a melody can move our emotions, can stir our heart in a way that words alone don't. Rhythms can make us want to get up and dance. Music expresses things that words can't. It evokes emotions, and we are emotional beings. Now understand, music moves our emotions, but worship is not meant to be just an emotional thing. In fact, worship is not something we do because we feel like it. It isn't driven by our emotions, but it can direct our emotions. It can re-aim us, refocus us. So I believe there are three important aspects about worshiping through music in a corporate setting. Three things. Remembrance, presence, and power. Let's talk about remembrance. I want to ask another question to you. Can anyone here recap a sermon that really spoke to you and your life? Raise your hand if you can remember that. How much of that sermon do you remember? One sentence. Okay, good. All right. How many of you remember five sermons that really impacted your life? No, no takers? I believe we all have those moments where we remember, man, that, that sermon really impacted me. What was it about? Well, I remember this one thing right? 
We don't really remember those things very well. But I want to play a game with you. I'm going to read a line, and I want you to finish it for me. When we've been there 10,000 years, right, shining, I was like, Karen, you, you, this, is, this is your territory, right? I'm getting into the hymns here. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven on earth. This is my story. This is my song. Don't have any trouble remembering those, do you? When peace like a river attendeth my way. That's right. All right, now I'm, I know I'm doing church songs, so for those that may not have grown up in the church, how about this? Eleanor Rigby picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been. Okay, so no Beatles fans in the, uh, in the group. Nobody knows Eleanor Rigby? Okay, so say it again. Eleanor Rigby picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been. You didn't like the Beatles. My, mom, my mom's, it's like on the tip of her tongue, but she, you got to sing it. Eleanor Rigby picks up the rice in the church where the dun, 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 dun. What is it? Something. All right, well, close. I guess that means that we're all good Christians. We know the hymns more than we know those evil pop songs. How about this one? I see a little silhouette of a man. There you go. Not even, don't even know if that's English, but, you know, you remember those words, right? Okay, how about this one? Let freedom ring from every hill and molehill of Mississippi. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day. Isn't it interesting? This is a speech that we've probably heard as many times as we've sung, sung some of these songs. Let me give you a little bit more. When all of God's children... Black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics. You knew who it was, but you couldn't finish the line, could you? We'll be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. How about this one? Four score and seven years ago. Something, something. Yeah, that was better. That was better. It was Abraham Lincoln. Our, four, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. We have all heard these speeches about as many times as we have heard these songs. And they're also from the same periods. Yet the songs most times are easier to remember. And the lyrics oftentimes take root in our soul in a way that words alone don't. Why? The power of music. When you marry words to music, it sticks in your head. And I would say it gets in your soul. God knows this because he made both us and music. And he used this in Scripture, believe it or not. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, 
there's this passage known as the Song of Moses. But what's interesting is Moses didn't write that song. He just sang it. Or really, he taught it to the people of Israel. In the previous chapter, it says that God wrote the song. Now me, as a music person, would love to have been a fly on the wall and hear the song that God wrote. Would have been really cool. But this song is not a happy song. It's not a song about how the loving kindness of God. He wrote it for the people to remember. It says in chapter 31, verse 19, now write this down, write down this song and teach it to the Israelites and have them sing it so that it may be a witness for me against them. When I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. And when they eat their fill and thrive, they will turn to other gods and worship them, rejecting me and breaking my covenant. And when many disasters and calamities come on them, this song will testify against them because it will not be forgotten. It will not be forgotten. How many times did they forget the ways of the Lord, his laws and his precepts? But God says, this song will not be forgotten by their descendants. I know what they are disposed to do even before I bring them into the land I promised them on oath. So Moses wrote down this song that day and taught it to the Israelites. We sing, we use music in worship so we remember. Because as people, as fallen people, we have a bad habit of forgetting the things that we are to remember. And we also have a bad habit of remembering the things that we are supposed to forget. So God uses music and uses song for remembrance. That's why so many hymns and even some modern worship songs sing the gospel. It's the same message over and over again, so we remember. So remembrance is number one. The second is presence. Now, worship is obviously a vertical experience. We are, our praises go up to God, but God also comes down to us. The scripture says that he is found in the praises of his people. Now, we know as believers that God is always with us. We are taught that we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? Psalm 139, it says, where can I go from your spirit? David asked this question. Jesus, at the end of Matthew, says, I am always with you to the end of the age. But there is something different about God's presence among his people when they worship him. God's power and glory can be manifested during those times. Matthew 18, Jesus says, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Does that mean he isn't around when there, there's only one? No, that's not what he's saying. But there's a different presence of the Lord that shows up. 
His presence is manifest in a new way when we come together as a congregation. And one of the ways we do that is to coming together in worship and coming together in song. Lamar Boschman calls this type of presence the revealed presence of God, an unusual revelation of God's essence at a certain time and location. The Old Testament scholar Terence Fretheim, sorry, not good with my German, calls it God's tabernacling presence. And we sure have been a tabernacling congregation, right? Moving from place to place. But God continues to show up. His presence is with us. Some refer to it as God's manifest presence. God desires to remove our blindfolds and give us an extraordinary, breathtaking glimpse of his divine radiance. A.W. Tozer once wrote, the world is perishing for lack of the knowledge of God, and the church is famishing for want of his presence. The instant cure of most of our religious ills would be to enter the presence of spiritual experience, to become suddenly aware that we are in God and that God is in us. This would lift us out of our pitiful narrowness and cause our hearts to be enlarged. This would burn away the impurities from our lives as the bugs and fungi were burned away by the fire that dwelt in the bush. God is a consuming fire. I mentioned that at the beginning of the, the service. And if God has a unique presence, a manifest presence that shows up in corporate worship when we come together, through that presence comes power. That's the third thing. Remembrance, presence, and power. One of those powers that we read about in Scripture is the power of victory, of winning our battles. Pastor Lori Baltmeyer has been a guest uh, preacher here many times. She's really good. You probably wish she was here now instead of me. But I'm going to go ahead and tell at least one of her stories, one of my favorite stories of hers. She was at Universal Studios in October during Halloween season. And so they had these special Halloween extended hours at night when after things got dark and they have lots of people dressed up in Halloween monsters and whatever else wandering around and things like that. And if you like Halloween, it's a lot of fun, I guess. Um, and she was there and she was observing a father with his son. Now they had an age limit. I don't remember what the age limit was, but whatever it was, the son was too young. And they're really encouraging the father not to bring his son in because they thought it might be a little too scary, a little too intense for him. But whether the dad thought his son was macho or he just really wanted to go and see it, he was like, oh, no, he'll be all right. He'll be all right. And they kept going, sir, I really don't think this is a good idea. But he said, no, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. So they said, okay, we're going to give you a flashlight. Bent down to the boy, gave him a flashlight and said, here's what I want you to do. If you get scared, you take your flashlight and you shine it in the face of whatever monster is scaring you and it will leave you alone. So they go in and Pastor Lori is standing back and watching this whole thing. And the boy never shined his flashlight 
and any of the monsters. The whole time, the boy was holding the father's hand, shining his flashlight up at his dad's face. And he just kept looking at his dad's face. And he never got scared because that's what he was focusing on. That is the central theme of worship, that God is God, that we are not, and we need to keep our focus on him. And when we do that, the monsters in our life, the battles that we face will be taken care of. There's a great story in 2 Corinthians chapter 20 where the Moabites and the Ammonites and other ites, all the, the bad guys in the Old Testament, right? They're coming against King Jehosh Jehoshaphat. So say that 10 times really fast, Jehoshaphat. And they didn't know what to do. They were outnumbered. Verse 12, it says, the king says, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you, like that little boy with his flashlight. They chose to look to God. That was their battle plan. So then Jehoshaphat feels moved to assign singers to lead the battle in front of the army. Now, growing up, I'm not the biggest guy in the world, and I, I definitely was more involved with the arts and music. So I would get teased from time to time for playing piano, singing in the choir, the band, things like that. Those are not traits that you think of when you think of tough or athletic activities. And they're definitely not the qualities you think of when it comes to being a warrior or a soldier. I mean, honestly, would you send a bunch of choir boys to the front of the line to fight a battle? Probably not. But that's exactly what they did. And listen to what happened. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Victory through worship. That was their battle plan. Let's sing. Let's get together and sing some songs. I'm sure you've all heard of this story, Joshua chapter 6, the battle of Jericho. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all your armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times and with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast at the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. God's battle plan was to send the marching band to the front of the line. He sends priests blowing shofars with the ark. Musicians, not warriors, was God's strategy to bring victory. Now, we all have battles in our lives. 
God's people, you and me sitting here, need others of us sitting here to go before us in battle and praise God. When we do, victories are won. I know that a lot of times you may come to church and maybe it's been a hard week, maybe you're tired. I don't know, maybe whoever's up there didn't pick the songs that you like. And so you're just not that into singing that morning. But what if somebody sitting next to you needs you to be one of those people on the front line praising the Lord that morning so that they can have a victory in their battle? Do you see why we need to take worship seriously? Another power is release from bondage. When we worship, God's power can show up and it can release us from bondage, from sin, from guilt, addiction, the past. There's another great story in Acts chapter 16 about Paul and Silas. They were falsely accused of something, thrown into prison. First, they were flogged and beaten. Then they were put into prison. They were put into stocks, they were chained up in the inner cell. So I'm imagining something similar to solitary confinement. These two men, by themselves, no windows, in chains. They can't see anyone. It says the other prisoners could only hear them. They did not see them. And this is what happens in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now maybe we should just stop there. They were flogged. They were beaten. They're chained in solitary confinement. And at midnight, they decide, let's worship God. Despite of their situation, they worship God. Or maybe they know something we don't. Maybe instead of, in spite of, maybe it's because of their situation, they worship God. Suddenly, there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Doesn't say Paul and Silas's chains came, came loose. Everyone's chains came loose. They were released from their bondage because two people decided they were going to worship God in the most inconvenient of circumstances. It's not about them. They are part of a larger story, and they know his power and his presence show up in worship. So their chains came off. They're free from their bondage. They're set free because of worship. It says the other prisoners were listening, so they would have heard this worship. So again, maybe there's someone next to you in church listening, maybe not understanding, or not able to bring themselves to worship. Maybe they're in chains. Maybe it's people on this Constitution Trail that are going by. They need to hear us worshiping. 
they too need release from bondage. It freed all the prisoners who heard. And if we worship and it doesn't necessarily change our situation at that time, I do believe worship changes our attitudes and our perspective. Again, because worshiping is taking that flashlight and shining it at the face of our Father, not at the evil images and the scary images around us. Let's read on, because it doesn't end there. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to the others in the house. And at that hour the night of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his whole house were baptized. He was filled with joy because he had become to believe in God, he and his whole household. Jesus says in John 12, when I am lifted up, I will draw people to myself. And that is what happened with Paul and Silas. They lifted up Jesus in worship. Worship leads people to Jesus. It not only frees you from bondage, but it has the power to bring us to salvation. That's why we oftentimes sing before you hear the word of the message. Because worship puts us in that place of being able to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So let me wrap this up. I know I can talk a little long. I believe there are three important aspects of corporate worship. Remembrance, presence, and power. And in the beginning of the, of the sermon, I had mentioned that there are two primary roles of the church, worship and ministry. And I believe we can't have an effective ministry without worship. True worship of God will lead us to the true ministry of God. Isaiah 6, another pa a famous passage where Isaiah has this vision of being in the throne room of God. And he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. He realizes that he is not worthy. But God atones for his sins. And then God asks, whom shall I send? And Isaiah responds, send me. Matthew 28 ends with the Great Commission. I'd asked what the Great Commandment is. What is the Great Commission? Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, blah, 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 blah. There's a lot more to it than that. Do you know what happens literally like a verse or two before that? It says the disciples worshiped Jesus. Worship precedes sending out for ministry. You know, we have this mission at Faith Lutheran Church. Does anybody remember what it is? Making disciples who plant churches who make disciples. If we want to fulfill that mission statement, 
If we truly want to make disciples, we're not going to be effective at that if we're not worshiping. Worship is critical to ministry. We need to take worship seriously for ourselves and for those around us. And it's not about whether we feel like worshiping. It's a calling, not just for ourselves, but for those around us. Someone once said that there are two kinds of worshipers, flatlanders and highlanders. Flatlanders live in only two dimensions. They're well-versed in the faith. They know the lay of the land. They know the routine, and they love it. The only problem is they are living in the horizontal realm. Highlanders are simply flatlanders who have discovered worship. They are constantly pushing up, up, up to experience God. We too need to be constantly pushing up, up, up to experience God. When we do, his manifest presence and power will change us, change our congregation, and change the world around us. I truly believe that. When we worship, we will be able to make disciples who plant churches who make disciples. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for today. Lord, thank you that we live in a country where we have the freedom to come and worship together. But Lord, I pray that you teach us what that means. I pray that you teach us the importance of worship. Lord, I pray that you teach us what it means when the scripture says to bring a sacrifice of praise. Because a sacrifice is something that is unpleasant. It is something we don't want to do. But Lord, there is, there is power when we worship you. Lord, we long to see and experience the presence that only comes when we worship you together as a body. Lord, we pray that as we do these things, that the victories in our lives will be won, that the bondage that we are in or the bondage that those that are around us are in will be taken away. And Lord, that salvation truly comes. Lord, I pray for the person here that needs you the most today. And I also pray for the person who thinks they need you the least. Lord, thank you that you are for us and you are with us. Thank you for being our God and help us to be your people. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please lift your hearts to the Lord as we offer our prayers to him this morning? Good and gracious God, we are so blessed to be your people, so blessed to be your church, so blessed to be